Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, and today I am very excited because we are finally at the point of the year where we are talking matchups for week one in particular. And joining me on this very special edition of what will be a weekly episode for everyone to hopefully help make your start-sit decisions and lineup choices for you is none other than the man who already has the week one rankings out. It's John Paulson. John, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. This is a new feature for us weekly uh, this season, as you mentioned, and it's great to have Sam uh, hopping on, who's a data analyst for us and doing some great work in terms of tools. We're going to have to get into some tools at some point. John threw up some of his uh, tools that he's got on the site so that uh, I think there's just so much information now for 444 subscribers that it's a little bit overwhelming, so it might be good for us to highlight one of Sam's tools every week. Sam, thanks for uh, hopping on the show. and We're looking forward to talking to you every week. Uh, of course, happy to hop on the show, as my last name would indicate here. Um, great to be part of this crew and excited for the season to start here. I don't know if it's your official title, Sam. I was just going to refer to you as the director of analytics here at 444, since you are the one who has been knocking out tools in particular requested by Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan, but knocking out tools consistently for everyone to use, whether it be betting or redraft statistics. And we can get into those more tools more as we get data week by week. But for right now, this is an interesting episode because we're going to start out with a couple of rankings debates and situations that we're looking for and trying to sift through and be ahead of in week one. And I think the first confusing situation that we need to discuss is the Bucks wide receivers room because right now it does sound like Russell Gage will play but he is still battling an injury ahead of Sunday night football not to mention we still don't know Chris Godwin's status and even if Godwin is available what is his role how many snaps will he play so Paulson I'd like to kick it to you for your rankings among the Bucks wide receiver situation yeah, this is right now it's tough. I mean, it's Wednesday. We'll have more practice information uh, today, tomorrow, Friday, obviously. And I use that to uh, sort of gauge where I think the players, in terms of how, how many snaps they're going to play or if they're going to play at all. Um, Godwin is without a, a knee brace right now, which is a good sign. Uh, but they certainly haven't confirmed that he's going to play. And I would expect, even if he does play, that he'll be somewhat limited. He's not going to play 90% plus of the sna- you know, or more of the snaps. Uh, in week one um and they've got julio who looks pretty good in in practice and he's fully healthy and we know when he's fully healthy he's a very dangerous receiver uh so i'm interested to see like the practice participation for gage and for godwin today tomorrow and friday uh, as we lead into week one um if they are both questionable heading in uh then i'll probably bump up julio as uh, you know and he'll probably be in with the sneaky starts because you know as a fully healthy player uh, number two probably option there for uh, Tom Brady outside of uh, Mike Evans. If um, if Gage or Godwin are you know not listed as questionable and are full participation in practice, then we can start sort of projecting them for what I would expect to be their full usage if they're all fully healthy. I do think that Ga- uh, that uh, Godwin probably will be limited. I'm not going to have him ranked as high uh, since he's coming off a pretty serious injury with the ACL. The latter two, as you mentioned, are touch and go. But right now, for everyone listening, you have Mike Evans as your wide receiver 18 PPR leagues. Of course, that could fluctuate since, as you mentioned, it's only Wednesday. 
but that's what everyone can view right now behind the scenes at 444.com in your week one rankings that, again, will be touch and go, and you will continue to update throughout the week until kickoff. Sam, do you have any lean on the Bucks wide receiver situation in particular? Uh, one you're preferring, maybe of the latter two options, given that that's the ambiguous situation we're trying to figure out. I mean, you buried the lead here that Julio changed – his jersey number from 85 to 6 that was the lead. as yeah. of this morning. So I, I don't know if that's an upgrade or not. You can uh, do with that information what you will. It doesn't sound like Godwin is going to play. I mean, it, he said on a podcast yesterday, I believe, that he doesn't think anyone knows yet what his status is going to be. But I think if Godwin is inactive, if – Gage plays as well. I tend to lean Gage given that he's been with the team longer this offseason. Last year, Godwin ran 70% of his routes out of the slot, and that's a role that I think Gage is more likely to fill. He ran 50% of his routes out of the slot, while Julio is typically around 20% uh, for his career. So I would tend to lean Gage. Excuse me. I've been Gage over... Julio for most of the offseason since Julio signed with the Bucks, So that's where I'm leaning right now. And if Godwin is ruled out, I think it's easy, Paulson, to probably, and maybe you can preface this, I know there's a, a lot of moving pieces here, but it's probably easy to then peg Gage as the wide receiver 40 around that range, around Tyler Boyd, right? Where you currently have Chris Godwin ranked. Or do you think Gage would move higher if Godwin's ruled out and Gage plays? If well, it depends on Gage's practice status too. So if he's if he's a full go, then yeah. Then but if he's like limited participate uh, participation on Friday and questionable, then that tells me that he's still being bothered by that hamstring injury, whatever he's got. So uh, I mean, I think if Godwin's out, then you're looking at Gage and Julio as startable receivers uh, in that offense. I mean they. They've, I think Tom Brady can support three fantasy receivers and they don't have much at tight end right now. So uh, that would be the route I would go. I will not bury the lead, Sam, on the Ravens' backfield because right now the reports are J.K. Dobbins' status for week one is quote-unquote certainly in doubt. And I would imagine that's why they also ran to the open market to sign Kenyon Drake once he was released by the Raiders. And now we have a situation where everyone's asking Mike Evans or Kenyon Drake. And I understand – People are in deeper leagues. Some people use zero RB strategy. Maybe some people are waiting out contingency options. They have stash on the bench and don't think they have a role in week one or rookies that are backups that they are waiting to emerge in the second half of the season. So maybe in a deeper league, you're already in position to start either Mike Davis or Kenyon Drake. Which do you lean right now, Sam, for this backfield? I lean Mike Davis again. I mean, it's it's the fact that he's been with the team – all offseason granted it's not like Kenyon Drake's been a free agent all offseason and the the Ravens have just ignored him as a potential option but it sounds like Mike Davis has sort of been the lead guy for the last couple weeks you know outside of Dobbins obviously but Davis just has I think a little bit more of an edge there and playing against a Jets defense that we don't expect to be all that great could be a viable starter or or fill-in for week one. 
And the Jets, Paulson, did add Jermaine Johnson, edge player out of Florida State with the number 26 overall pick. But other than that, really just lost a bulk of their above league average players in their secondary in particular on the open market and free agency this offseason with no splash signings really whatsoever. And so I do have confidence in citing that, remember, this Jets front seven is one that allowed a league high in points per game to enemy running backs last year. And so it's a great matchup if one of Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake get the bulk of the carries. I think that's what I'm trying to decipher, though, is just one get there because if we split touches between these two players i don't think either get there yeah i mean they they yielded uh the jets 29.4 fantasy raw fantasy points half ppr that's like fan dual scoring uh to the opposing running backs last year so it, there is a path if they both split and they're sort of average they could each see 12 to 14 points or something like that but you're right. I mean, you'd like to know who the who the starter is, but I think what you're probably going to see is a split, and they're going to um, run them both out there, alternate series, and whoever gets hot is probably going to start to see more in the second half. Um, that's what they sort of did with Dobbins and Gus Edwards late uh, a couple seasons ago before they both tore their ACLs. But I don't think they want to have a you know a bell cow or anything. I, I just favor Drake over Davis because. Just about every facet of the game, he's a little bit better. Um, you know, maybe you could argue that Mike Davis can run between the tackles a little bit better than than Drake, but he was pretty poor in his uh, tackle breaking last year after a really good, really good high uh, tackle breaking and yards after uh, contact uh, per attempt two years ago with Carolina. Um, but Drake's a better, I think, a little bit better receiver. We'll see. I mean, Davis can catch the ball too, but they don't throw the ball much to the the Ravens or to the Ravens running backs anyway. So this is just a situation where it's just a good matchup that you want to have a take on it. But I think what we're going to see is probably a, some sort of committee and it might not be pretty. Uh, they want to run the ball, but with, you know, with Dobbins out, Gus Edwards out, they might throw it more against the Jets than we're expecting. We want to have a take on it in the short term, but I would remind everyone that we also don't know J.K. Dobbins status for week two. Maybe this is a precautionary rest week and then we get them back. And then also Gus Edwards is looming as a potential return, even if it's a, as a part-time player in week five. So like there's this very small window. And this is why I discussed this in the waiver wire column where short-term, sure, we may be fighting over these guys, but we really don't want to spend a lot of fab and we don't really want to prioritize them if we're thinking long-term. If our team is already set and we can't envision starting either or flexing either in the next couple of weeks, because I just don't think it'll ultimately matter in a month. And so just be very careful. We're also, no one's discussing that targets that may go underneath, like we already doubt their running backs are going to see target from Lamar Jackson. But those underneath targets may also be Isaiah Likely's role now, which poofs the rest of these few targets they were expected to see into the air. Uh, just a questionable situation all around. But yes, nitpicking, Eileen with Sam, Mike Davis, only be, only because he's been on the team since May. But your argument that, Actually, Mike Davis wasn't good is also very valid. So a tough situation to figure out. I also want to send it back to you for Travis Etienne and James Robinson. I have no issues rolling out Travis Etienne as a fringe RB1, mid RB2, and that's where you have him right now for PPR leagues as your RB17 in your rankings. But we also know James Robinson is reportedly up to full speed, and we think he's going to get early down carries. So how do you envision James Robinson's role for week one and really – will it impact dramatically 
Etienne's production here against Washington? Well, I think if you have Travis Etienne, this is the week you got to start him. Uh, I mean, James Robinson working his way back. Uh, they've they've talked about him being limited, you know, early to start the season. It's pretty incredible that he's ready to go week one. Uh, I don't expect a big workload for for James Robinson. Um, I would think that they would allow Etienne to lead this team in touches. I've got him projected for thirteen uh, carries, three and a half catches, so pretty healthy workload for Etienne. Um, you know, maybe seven or eight touches for James Robinson right now. And that's just a matter of, I think, ETN starting and getting the first few series and probably looking better than, than Robinson in his first game back from the, from the, uh, torn Achilles. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a good week to start ETN. If you have him, that's why you drafted him. You're thinking that he's going to emerge, uh, as the RB one here. And, um, this is his opportunity to show, show up. Were you one of the ones jamming ETN to the second, third round turn, Sam, in FFPC leagues. And how do you see this situation playing out in week one and really long term? I was not. There were a couple times where he had fallen to the late third, early fourth, where he certainly entered uh, entered my mind. But I, I agree with John. Well, I was going to say I agree with John, but now I need to specify which John. I, I agree with John Paulson in that. If you drafted ETN, you you have to start him. The the coaching staff has been talking him up all offseason. They're lining him out at receiver. We know sort of the status of their receiving core in Jacksonville. So there's an opportunity for him to get peppered with targets as well. And even if James Robinson is healthy, like John Paulson mentioned, there's going to be, I think, some ramp up period and where they're not going to want to rush him back because he is a great running back. And to potentially re-aggravate that injury, I think, would not be the smartest idea for Jacksonville. A question in the chat from Jeremy comes in. Michael Thomas or Brandon Cooks on my flex? And that's actually a good way to discuss the Saints receivers, Paulson, and what we expect from them because it is a very juicy matchup indoors against the Falcons, who we project to be one of the worst three, two teams in the league, if not the worst. And we now get to see Jameis Winston for the first time post-injury play a full game. And so how do you see this shaking out, knowing that we're still on the edge of our seats, waiting out Michael Thomas, who we think will play, but still unclear on a Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, I would have Cooks ahead of uh, Thomas this week just because we don't know what sort of Michael Thomas we're going to see. I would mention that to Jeremy that he needs to learn how to spell Brandon's first name. He's been in the league for a number of years. So let's get, <laughs> let's get it right. Let's put some uh, respect on his name. You've seen his name uh, on five different rosters now. Like, even yeah. every coach in the league knows Brandon Cooks' first name. Um, but, uh, no, yeah, uh, no offense intended there. Uh, I think I think I'm interested in Thomas. I'm interested in him against uh, Atlanta. I think this is they have pretty good perimeter receivers, even though they were bad in uh, our adjusted fantasy points allowed to receiver metric last year. They're they've got a couple of uh, pretty good perimeter cornerbacks. Um, I'm just a little bit unsure about Thomas heading into uh, his first game back after such a long layoff. Just relative to Brandon Cooks, who I think is a really solid play against the Colts. Sam. It's probably easier to say the younger player in Chris Olave, but would you give Jarvis Landry the benefit of the doubt and maybe boost him up your rankings? Maybe we 
envision him seeing more usage if Michael Thomas is hindered and a part-time player in week one. I do think that's reasonable. I mean, they play a a, a similar slot role for sure. And to, to John's point, I mean, I would agree. I'm going to mess up this whole John thing. I hopefully by context clues, everyone is understanding which John I'm referring to, but I'll, I'll try to uh, try my best to refer to first and last names here, but I, I would lean cooks in that flex situation because he had such a high target share last year. And we don't know what Thomas we're going to get both from a health standpoint and from a usage standpoint when drew Brees was there he was peppering michael thomas because there really wasn't anyone else outside of camara to throw to and jarvis landry in in all of his years past uh roles has been a target hog so i think landry is certainly the one to one most likely to step up into that role i still like where jp has Olave ranked ahead of Jarvis Landry because I think he's got more of that boom potential to break a long one off against this Falcons defense that, you know, they do have some some good cornerbacks, but overall is not a great defense. So if you have Olave, it's it's a risky situation to be starting him, but the the upside is is certainly there for him to have a, a great week. Let's say Michael Thomas is ruled out. Again, we don't know this policy, but Michael Thomas is ruled out. Where do you think you'll adjust both Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry? Because I have Olave otherwise, at least even for this game, as a boom or bust option, really, which is fine for a flex and a projected shootout where the Saints team total continues to be on the rise like this one. But it's obviously an easier pill to swallow if Thomas is ruled out. Yeah, and I think what I've seen uh... – in terms of Thomas, it looks like he's going to be okay to play. Uh, but if he were to be a late rollout or he tweaks his, you know, hammy or whatever in practice, um, yeah, you're bumping up Olave and uh, Landry pretty significantly, and probably Marquez Callaway is becomes kind of a sleeper. Uh, and I mean, the, the the one note I have on the cornerback matchups is that it does look like um, Landry has the best matchup against Darren Hall, assuming he starts in the slot. Um, easily the highest fantasy points uh, allowed per route run uh, last year amongst amongst the cornerbacks that Atlanta has now, Casey Hayward and AJ Terrell on the outside. Um, so it's just Landry is just one of these guys. He's, we know he's going to get six or seven targets. He'll probably catch five or six of them for you know fifty yards. And if he gets a touchdown, he pays off for you. But otherwise, it's sort of a spot start. I think Olave has that. He's so tempting to start because he. Really showed well um, in camp. He's got a nice rapport with Winston, and he's got that deep ball ability, that speed that we we love to to covet. And um, it, again, it's Atlanta, so they are going to put up some points. And finally, I want to discuss your ranking of Antonio Gibson right now, RB thirteen for PPR league, so a fringe RB one. And that, of course, is because Brian Robinson's tragedy has now left this backfield as the same situation as last year, whenever Gibson was being treated as literally a third-round pick who could potentially break out. Except even after Brian Robinson's situation, Gibson was still falling to the eighth, ninth round in a lot of leagues. So how do you view Gibson for week one against Jacksonville? 
Yeah, and he he sort of ended up there at 13. I left him there, and I think that's a, a solid ranking for him. I, you just I go through my process, and then sometimes these guys pop up, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is uh, you know Gibson doesn't have any competition other than uh, McKissick as a you know in the receiving game, but he's been posting fringe RB one numbers his first two seasons in the league. He's got a pretty nice matchup against the Jaguars, and I would you know in half PPR I would start him over Ezekiel Elliott, who's you know facing a tough uh, Bucks defense. Um, so he's sort of where I think he should be. And I think the one, you know, the one worry I have is have they soured on him so much that they start working in other running backs, uh, you know, or do they just kind of go back to what was working last year with Gibson? So I think that's the one concern is that maybe they're just kind of soured on him as a franchise and they're not going to give him the, the workload that he saw. I mean, he was seeing 18 plus touches per game last year so if he gets that sort of workload i think low-end rb1 numbers are well within reach what are your thoughts on that situation sam yeah i've got a uh, crosby my dog barking in the background because he's just thinks it's so egregious to have antonio gibson ranked that high i mean yes the brian robinson situation changes things from what we expected but the fact that antonio gibson was still running with like the special teams unit in training camp I think is enough for me to you know think the coaching staff doesn't think that much of him and you know I know some coaching staffs like to put their best player in punt return situations stuff like that because they can be elusive and be able to break off bigger returns but I just see you know a couple of the guys that are ranked below him like Nick Chubb, Javante Williams, Saquon Barkley that I I would all much prefer over him. Now, I think if you if you drafted those three guys I just mentioned, you're for sure starting them. Antonio Gibson is probably on the fringe based on again Dago mentioning that you get you drafted Antonio Gibson in the eighth, ninth, tenth round potentially, but I, it just doesn't mesh up to me based on what we've seen all off season in camp and even with this, again, this Brian Robinson situation, I think that McKissick has a big enough role as well to hinder Gibson's upside. That actually brings us seamlessly, I might add, into our sleeper, which most recognized as the fastest growing fantasy platform for fantasy drafts and leagues universally, waiver wire pickup segment of the week, because both of you discussed your issues with Antonio Gibson. Uh, and I personally like J.D. McKissick. I still actually lean on Gibson as a fringe RB1 as well. But when I logged into Sleeper for my own personal leagues, that took place before Brian Robinson's incident, since drafts have been going on forever in the last month during the preseason. J.D. McKissick was available in a lot of those leagues. And so I logged into the Sleeper app, and I picked him up everywhere. Also, my top waiver wire pickup of the week, wherever applicable, because – we know that this is now the same situation sans Brian Robinson as it was last year. And that same situation as last year was when McKissick was a mid-11th round pick, and he wasn't that before whenever Robinson was available. And also, while healthy, McKissick outsnapped Antonio Gibson 17-1, to out-targeted, I'm sorry, Antonio Gibson 17-1 to on third and fourth down as their lone player, essentially, for Washington on conversion downs. Also was averaging a career high 11 and a half PPR points per game through week 12 before injury. And so I do think 
J.D. McKissick actually offers flex value immediately, maybe win zero RB. I think McKissick is good enough to be your RB1 or RB2 in PPR leagues. And not only that, but remember, this very same coaching staff two years ago played McKissick in three games that Antonio Gibson, because we're thinking, okay, well, who has contingency value here? And it was actually McKissick in those three games who played 76% of the snaps and averaged 16 and a half touches and eight targets per game in those three contests. So I think he actually has sneaky upside if the coaching staff sours immediately on Gibson out the gates, whether Robinson comes back or not too. And that's why I like J.D. McKissick as well. But Paulson, well, that is my sleeper pickup of the week for the apps. I know you actually want to take it a different direction and say who is actually your sleeper player of the week. Yeah, and I would just add uh, with with McKissick, I have him at 33 and half PPR, and it looks like I've got him at 30 and full PPR. So this week, I think is a good is a good it's a good spot for him, uh, given the situation. It's basically, like last year, and he was always a surprise, you know, flex play. Um, but I want to. I just wanted to mention uh, the the Joe Flacco news and the fact that he's going to start Week One, which was sort of expected. I had you know I had Flacco in as the starter when I did uh, projections this week. Um, but the one thing I wanted to point out is that Elijah Moore had his biggest yardage game in the one start that Flacco had last year. Uh, he was targeted eleven times by Flacco, eight uh, catches for 141 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Crowder chimed in with six for 44 and a touchdown on seven targets. Corey Davis had seven targets, but three catches for 35 yards. And then the the week before when um, Zach Wilson went down, um, Flacco came in and, and played six snaps and he completed three for three uh, for 47 yards and a touchdown and 40 yards and two of those catches and the touchdown went to Elijah Moore. So Really good week if you have Elijah Moore. I know he's been drafted as you know sort of a low end wide receiver three type, but I've got him ranked ranked in the mid twenties, uh, low end wide receiver two this week. Uh, it's a pretty small sample, but really jibe well with uh, Joe Flacco last year, and Flacco will probably continue to look his way this week. Beyond Elijah Moore, who I also like, remember he played a hundred percent of the first string snaps in the preseason with Joe Flacco, which tells me unlike last year. Hopefully this is what it leads to, him being an every-down player in week one in a what we assume will be negative game script against the Ravens, transitioning a new defense after they fired Wink Martindale. And so I do think it's actually a great spot for Elijah Moore, too. He's one of my favorite DFS plays I'll talk about on DFS MVP with T.J. Hernandez on Friday and every week. Shameless plug. But I think what redraft players want to know, Sam, is how you're viewing Garrett Wilson since he didn't play with the first string offense. He played behind Corey Davis in two wide sets and behind Braxton Berrios in three wide sets. It's, of course, a player we want to stash just in draft capital alone and being the number 10 overall pick. But how are you really handling Garrett Wilson uh, and ranking him, utilizing him for this week? Garrett Wilson's a wait-and-see guy at this point. I think there's – I don't think there's any way that you can really start him unless you're – absolutely forced to based on everything that you just said the Flacco aspect of things and just I mean the fact that this team could just generally be bad and not have as many opportunities to throw things around you know you you mentioned the connection that Elijah Moore and Flacco had in their one game last year and outside of that you know their their receivers didn't really do much on the whole, this Ravens defense is 
healthier than they were last year. And even if the Jets are forced to pass the ball a ton, which we would expect based on sort of the, the, the pregame spread and how we expect this game to turn out. I just, I can't see a situation in which you're confident rolling Garrett Wilson in. He was obviously the, uh, no, he was one of the, the first wide receivers taken in the draft, but definitely not someone I expect to get off to as hot of a start as maybe again, Chris Olave or Drake London, some of the other rookie wide receivers. Yeah. I, I, just, move I, just, I was just going to say, I was going to add that with this, with Wilson is that he's behind, as you mentioned, Barrios. And I think Barrios is going to be a thorn in the side of Wilson all year, just because of the, his role that he plays in the slot and Crowder's performance with Flacco last year makes Barrios sort of an interesting dart throw DFS type. I, w- I wouldn't feel comfortable starting him, uh, but whenever he's been on the field, he's been pretty productive. And so I think it's going to happen with this Jets. Is they're going to try this Jets team and this receiving core is that they're trying to create a competition between Davis and Wilson. Uh, we know Elijah Moore is going to start. We know Barrios is probably going to play in the slot unless he really stinks it up or something. And then so that outside other outside spot with with Davis and Wilson is going to be the competition we have to watch during the season. We're going to be watching Wilson's snaps and Davis's snaps as that season uh, as that season wears on to really see when you should start uh, getting ahead of Wilson and putting him in your lineup. Braxton Berrios, to your point, nine and a half targets per game in the four starts for Jameson Crowder in the slot for the Jets last year. Before we move on, reminder, this is your last chance, quite literally, to enter Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament, featuring two cold hard million to the overall winner, one million to second place, and another one million to the overall points leader through the regular season. I say it's your last chance because literally at the time of this recording, BBM3 is 99% full and going to close without you unless you hit pause now. You have to come back, of course, but hit pause now and load a draft prior to Thursday's kickoff. And the way I've handled it, Sam, the past couple of weeks personally, is since all personnel is practically set in stone, I have been drafting strictly for that 1 million regular season prize and ignoring week 17 correlation. One, because I already have my lineups in with all that week 17 correlation. But two, because it, that naturally allows me to have a unique build compared to those eyeing the playoffs and your typical correlated lineups at this time of the year with 48 hours to go. Anything else you've been doing at Best Ball Media 3 during the twilight hours? I do think that's a really great point. It's something that sort of the general fantasy football industry hasn't really talked about that much because I don't think your draft strategy changes that much. But when you're looking at the tiebreaker between, you know, someone that is in this week 17 correlation and someone that isn't, people tend to lean towards the week 17 correlation. But if you are finding players that are going to have a role every single week who maybe even, you know, are buried in their depth chart, but could be, could have a role. I think that's a better way to potentially play it. So I, I really like that. It, I mean, it's something that I hadn't really thought about, but certainly a great way to be playing it at this point in the, the off season. You can head to 444.com slash underdog for more. Next up, this segment will probably vary week to week, especially as we get more data. But I know, Sam, in this buy low portion of the show, which will happen weekly, you do want to discuss early season strength of schedule with us early on 
in particular, let's start with quarterbacks. Yeah, so we're going to have Sal throw up a couple charts here for the people watching on YouTube. Hopefully you are. Otherwise, uh, I'll tweet these out after the show as well. A couple things to note here. So this is using the 4 for 4 adjusted fantasy points against from the 2021 season. So we know that these defenses have changed all offseason. This is going to change throughout the season as well. So what we see as a good matchup now is might not be a good matchup four to five weeks from now. So just a little caveat to to that when looking here. But in each of these charts, it shows each team's excuse me, each team's opponent and the percent above or below average that their adjusted fantasy points were. So if the sort of matchup is highlighted green, that's a better matchup for this position. If it's highlighted red, it's bad for that position. So another thing I like to look at is really just the the extremes of these. So players with exceptionally good matchups or exceptionally bad matchups. And it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting situation with quarterback because there are two guys who were drafted pretty low outside of the top 15 to 20 that have some really good schedules to start the season and a couple that were drafted highly that have tough schedules to start the season. So the two quarterbacks with the great schedule, one is Matt Ryan. They play the Texans, the Jaguars, the Chiefs, Titans, and the Broncos to kick off the season. Now, there is a situation in which Jonathan Taylor just dominates those matchups. He dominated the Texans when they played them in the two games last year. The Jaguars' defense isn't all that great, and the Chiefs are going to likely force the Colts to pass the ball a ton. The other guy is Carson Wentz, who is not someone that the general consensus is super high on, but they also play the Jaguars this week. They play the, the Lions in week two, and then they face the Eagles, Cowboys, and the Titans as well. So it's something where Wentz could get off to a hot start. If you're in a super flex league or two quarterback league and you have Wentz and he does, could be an opportunity to sell high. So I think it's it's important to look at these and add some context around why a player might or might not be uh, over or underperforming. And I'm aware. Oh, go ahead. I'll say, and I'm aware, Paulson, of Matt Ryan's situation because I wrote in my Colts team preview that I thought he was a good pad for Deshaun Watson if you were going that route, knowing his opening schedule. Um, Having said that, how do you view short term, week one, Matt Ryan, since Colts team total on the rise will probably close actually as one of the highest of the week? And it's a great matchup for a streaming spot for him. Uh, against Houston in week one. Yeah, Sam started as a spiel there. I was thinking of the, the two players that jumped out to me in terms of their schedule were Matt Ryan and then Jameis Winston, who both have, I think, pretty strong starts to the season in terms of their matchups. And the other thing I wanted to mention on Matt Ryan is that th- there have been re- multiple reports in camp about how quickly he plays uh, in terms of getting you know, the number of plays off for their offense. And the Falcons were fifth in um, 
Uh, there's a great tool, uh, Team Stat Explorer, that uh, Sam uh, built for us. And the Falcons were fifth in seconds per play uh, last year. Uh, the Colts were 31st. Uh, so they, they're going from playing very, very slow under Carson Wentz to probably playing a lot faster under Matt Ryan, which means more plays. So even if, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor dominates, which we are expecting, there are going to be more plays available, I think, for that passing attack. And I think in general, Matt Ryan, with those first four matchups especially, looks really appealing. The other player I would think is, is uh, you know, Winston uh, against the Falcons, then the Bucks, and then the Panthers. Uh, the Vikings and the Seahawks. That's at a pretty appealing start too. If you're looking to sort of stream the position or do a, a committee, but definitely week one, I, I like both players, um, and especially you know Ryan against the Texans. That that's a really appealing matchup. Is there someone on the other end of that spectrum, Sam, that you're trying to avoid? Maybe a couple of players, knowing that their early season schedule is impossible. So one player that I'm probably avoiding is Tua. They play the. Patriots in week one, they get the Bills in week three, and in week two, they get the Ravens, who show as a positive match matchup. But again, that's a situation where their defense likely has improved in the offseason, given that they're they're a little bit healthier now. <clears throat> the other guy that I'm not necessarily going away from, but has an interesting set of teams that he faces in weeks three, four, and five is Trey Lance. They play the Broncos, the Rams, and the Panthers, who are all negative matchups in our adjusted fantasy points allowed. And you're likely still starting him because he has that rushing floor. He has the potential rushing ceiling that this accounts for, but is you know something just to consider. If he does have a bad stretch of games, obviously there's the risk that he gets benched for Jimmy Garoppolo. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but if he does perform poorly, there's a potential buy low opportunity for someone who could be a great fantasy quarterback. What did you see when you did this same practice for early season schedule for running backs? And we know Paulson and I are in particular are tepid about projecting running backs beyond four games, also maybe even uh, shorter than that list, but could, because we know so much will change in particular in front sevens, but anything stand out to you when you were doing this for running backs? The one for me is the Broncos all off season. There's been these reports that the backfield is essentially going to be split 50, 50 or close to that. And the fact that they start off with the Seahawks, the Texans, the 49ers, the Raiders and the Colts, makes it seem to me that those are both Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams are viable starters for the first couple of weeks. Now, if that split is not what we expected it to be, and it leans more towards Javante, maybe that knocks Gordon out of starting potential, but the matchups that they face certainly line up well for both of them to have a, a very solid start to the season. Paulson, I also know that Melvin Gordon appeared in your sneaky starts column. Yes, uh, Benjamin Albright, uh, Denver area reporter, keeps beating the drum that it's a 55-45 split with uh, Mike Boone sprinkled in. Uh, so, you know, we've been hearing all sorts of different shares from different reporters uh, there. But, 
he's one that's been pretty accurate in terms of his uh, beat reporting uh, whenever he's covered the Broncos, in my experience. So uh, and he's probably been at camp there seeing what the split has been. So that, that doesn't mean that they're going to roll this out in week one. That's the, sh- that's the share. And we also had Melvin Gordon say that the team wants uh, Javante to be the guy. He said that in a, a press conference which I thought was pretty interesting because obviously he wouldn't say that if not for something going on behind the scenes. Uh, but it might just, he might just mean it's 55, 45. He's taken a back seat this year. Um, but he does, he is appealing in these situations. And this is one of the things I look for in sneaky starts is uh, in these great matchups, you know, against like the jets, like that we're talking about with the Ravens, like these great matchups, you might have a secondary running back. That is a sneaky start in that situation. Cause there's going to be so many fantasy points available. And it does look like uh, against Seattle and, and the Texans in week two, that they might, that might be the case for the Broncos. Anyone stand out, out the gates, Sam, that could struggle early on. And thus maybe that's a player we need to target week three or four. Alex, of course, is doing our weekly trade value chart at 4 for 4 every week. Someone that he will eventually bring up because the player starts with a hard schedule, but then the gates open for him to emerge and be successful later on. So the guy that stood out to me was Leonard Fournette. And this is obviously a a situation, too, where Rashad White is sort of looming behind him to potentially take – more opportunities as a rookie running back, but it could be a situation where the Bucks they play the Cowboys in week one, the Saints in week two, the Packers in week three, and the Chiefs in week four, where the Bucks are either passing a ton in those matchups like they have done in the past, and Fournette's just not getting the usage, or he's getting the usage and He's just not performing that well. So if he's not performing that well, do the Bucks see that and say, okay, we're going to sprinkle in Rashad White a little bit more. But if he is still getting the usage despite some poor performances, I think that's an opportunity where, again, you go to the the person who has Leonard Fournette and, and try to acquire them in a trade. Paulson, you have Rashad White ranked as your RB55 right now and PPR leagues. It varies person to person. Some people believe White does have standalone value. I am of the opposite belief, where I think he's strictly a contingency player, given that Leonard Fournette was the engine of the offense over the last month of the season before he got injured. Having said that, where do you stand on Rashad White early in the year, knowing people will have to make that choice in shallower leagues where they stash him uh, or avoid him and maybe miss out? Yeah, I'm kind of with you that I think he's more of a contingency player, especially to start the season. You also have Giovanni Bernard there, who's a very good receiving back. He might not even be ahead of him in terms of the receiving role. I do think uh, Rashad White has a lot of upside. I I drafted him in my uh, keeper league, and I watched some highlights of him, uh, and I was like, okay, well, (laughs) there's a couple of really strong runs uh, to start his highlight tape, but I guess all the highlights for all the players look pretty good. Um, the, the player that's, uh, so I would say, yeah, right now he's more of a, you know, stash, uh, type player Fournette They gave the big contract to, I think they want to run him into, uh, the ground probably with this next contract and are going to use him up as much as possible. Um, but I guess if he starts struggling and they start seeing uh, white pop here and there that they might start to give him a little bit more work. The other p- uh, player I wanted to mention was, uh, Brees Hall, of the jets starting, uh, with in a timeshare with. Michael Carter against the Ravens this week. 
if both players struggle, uh, it might be a buy opportunity for for Hall if you believe that he's going to emerge as the the lead back there. Um, the Browns are number in week two are kind of middle of the pack and fancy points allowed. Bengals are a little bit above average in terms of adjusted fancy points allowed, but and then the Steelers. So it might it might be a slow start for the Jets. Uh, running game um, and that might uh, open up a, a buy opportunity for for Hall. I also found myself watching Nick Westbrook Akeen highlight reels on Friday night. Uh, I'm single, ladies, just in case that didn't tell you <laughs> everything you need to know. Sam, maybe it correlates with quarterback early season schedule, but what about wide receivers perhaps opening with an easy schedule as well? So this is a situation that I think a lot of fantasy – analysts are going to be paying attention to closely in week one and that's with the Cowboys who start off again with the with the Bucks. their week one matchup last year was a shootout they both passed the ball a ton but then the Cowboys get the Bengals the Giants and the Commanders following that and I think it's a situation if one of the guys outside of CD Lamb whether it's Noel Brown or Jalen Tolbert or Michael Gallup, depending on when he returns. If none of those guys can produce in this stretch of games, it might be a situation where you sort of just, I don't want to say forget the position, but just say, hey, C.D. Lamb is the guy. Like Some of these guys are going to have their boom weeks, but they're not going to be that reliable wide receiver to like Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup have been in the past. I think the other the other NFC East team that starts off with a great schedule is the Eagles. I mean, it's just wheels up for A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They get the Lions, Vikings, Commanders, Jaguars, and Cardinals. I think that too is, you know, sort of dependent on how much the Eagles pass the ball, but they have a great schedule to start the season. Paulson, both Jalen Tolbert and Noah Brown are available in over 70% of Yahoo leagues, but could also be just short-term options. Michael Gallup did return to practice on Wednesday. We don't know his status. We know he likely won't play Sunday night in week one. We don't know his status for week two. And even if he is available, is he a full-time player? How are you handling those ancillary options in Tolbert and Brown? Brown, of course, probably just for deeper leagues in the short term. Yeah, I think if we knew Tolbert versus Brown, who was going to who's the clear number two, which I don't think we know right now, uh, then those players would would pop a little bit more as sneaky starts and maybe DF, you know sneaky DFS plays. But we were just not sure who's going to be the number two option there. You also have a pass catching tight end there with Dalton Schultz, and you do have the ticking I, I won't call it ticking time bomb. I'll call it a pumpkin when uh, they'll turn into a pumpkin when uh, Michael Gallup comes back because I do think that they want. Gallup to be their number two and then so they're running Lamb, Gallup and Schultz as the top three options and you also have two pass catching running backs so you kind of wonder what Tolbert or Brown's value will be long term in terms of how consistent they'll be and it's really going to come down to who's that third receiver but I I think even in that case it's going to be pretty dicey starting that player once Gallup is is fully healthy. The other team I, I wanted to mention here Michael Pittman um and maybe who are, you know whoever the number two option there is for the Colts. I mean, they got the Texans, Jaguars, Chiefs, and Titans to start the season. I mean, we mentioned this with with Matt Ryan. It just looks like this uh, Colts offense is going to get off to a hot start. The Cowboys' situation for me is a double edged sword because on one hand, 
we know the Cowboys opened against the Bucks in week one on Thursday night last year, and they finished with the week's highest pass play rate from neutral game script and highest raw pass rate. I imagine that's the exact way they're going to handle the Bucks in week one, knowing that they can't run into the teeth of that defense. And the only way to beat them is to pass heavily on them. So that bodes well for both Tolbert and Noah Brown. At the same time, Tolbert did play into the third quarter with a third-string offense in the final preseason game. Like He was a third-round rookie who we were high on, but then proved throughout the preseason to really not be ready, which makes me worried that Noah Brown will start in two wide sets. So like you said, strictly showdown DFS for me, maybe stash Tolbert in deeper leagues, but that's about it right now. Sam, let's go ahead and move on to tight end. Anything stand out to you, whether it be easy or tougher schedule? So I, I know this will please John Paulson very much, but the Titans with Austin Hooper have uh, a really solid stretch to start the season. They play the Giants in week one, then get the Buffalo Bills, who will still be without Dravius White, though that might not impact the tight end position quite as much, and then get the Raiders, Colts, and the Commanders, I think. A couple of weeks ago, I had written that Hooper was one of my least favorite guys to be drafting in the the 14th or 15th round and have since come around to that because the the receiver position in Tennessee is so in flux with Robert Woods coming back from injury with Traylon Burks not getting the the hype that many people expected. You know, you mentioned Nick Westbrook-Akine. Um, and so it could open up some opportunity for Austin Hooper as a streamer to start the year. If he gets off to a hot start could be a sell high as well, because that team will tend to skew run heavy. But if he falls into the end zone a couple of times, uh, that could be, it could be the only couple of times he, he finds the end zone. But um, uh, Austin Hooper is someone I like, especially in week one against the Giants. And Hooper, of course, Paulson, is your tight end 16 in PPR rankings right behind David Njoku for week one. Yeah, I think he's a pretty safe play. Given the reports we got out of Tennessee all preseason, he's really meshing well with Ryan Tannehill, and they're definitely in flux at receiver. Tannehill does like to target tight ends in the red zone, a lot of touchdowns to, to tight ends. And I, I think that Hooper is a dark horse to lead this team in, in tight end catches or touchdown catches. Um, I would hope he leads it, <laughs> leads the team in tight end catches. Um, and just those, those other receivers that they have there right now just aren't red zone threats. I mean, Robert Woods is not known as a red zone threat. Uh, Nick Westbrook, you know, has caught a couple touchdowns, but not a big, huge, big body or anything like that. But when this uh, chart came up, the first thing I looked at was the Broncos and Albert O who's had the wildest, one of the wildest off seasons um, in terms of his value going up and down and all around. Um, but nice start for him, I think, with two games here, uh, Seahawks, uh, Texans, to maybe establish himself as the number one uh, starter in this team at that position, and, and hopefully he can get off to a good start. I'm just really interested to see all these breakout candidates and their usage, and Joku, uh, Irv Smith, uh, Albert O, um, and so there's some others, Moali Cox, and a couple others I'm forgetting, but... Um, Really interested to see their usage in week one, see if any of these guys pan out right away. You also have sneaky starts for week one on the site available for everyone. And I want to kick it to you for a couple of potential top starts. Let's start with starts, actually. And players that are going under the radar 
that you think are actually viable RB2s, wide receiver threes, flex options that stand out? I'll stick with guys that we haven't uh, talked about yet. Um, And I'll also discuss these a little bit with Anthony on Friday in our usual segment. But Trevor Lawrence, uh, Washington was 32nd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks last year. And I have found, just as a caveat with adjusted fantasy points allowed, um, it's not terribly sticky year to year in terms of the passing. and It tends to be more sticky in the rushing. Um, So I really start looking at the matchups once we get to week four and we've got three weeks worth of data um so it's i think week four is afpa week and i get really excited about that it's like chris opening up uh presents on christmas uh but i think trevor lawrence has a chance here to surprise this week against uh, washington um at running back um i think rashad penny uh you know with walker still out likely uh you know i wonder how this game is going to go from a game strip script standpoint but uh to remember that that penny had 671 rushing yards uh, and six touchdowns in his final five games. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't overthink him too much. Uh, they're going to want to run the ball. And uh, he's he's certainly their um, primary runner this right now, especially with Walker out. Um, at, at receiver, we've talked about a few of the guys I'm going to highlight in the article. Uh, and so I'll just go to, uh, I'll mention another Jaguar, uh, Marvin Jones. I think, you know, he's healthy. He's young. He's not young, but he's, as a 32-year-old, I think the one concern we have about him is staying healthy. He's healthy right now. Washington was 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers last year. And he just, I mean, I've said it before, but death, taxes, and Marvin Jones outperforming his ADP, those are the three certainties in life. Um, I think he's a pretty solid dart throw, especially in DFS. I'm sure he's got to be super cheap on the DFS sites. And then at tight end, I think we've talked about everybody that uh, that I've been right about this week, but you know, Hunter Henry, we haven't. Um, I think, you know, this offense is going to be a little bit shaky to start the year based on the reports out of camp. Um, but I'm thinking that uh, Mac Jones probably goes to safety blanket. And Henry's he's gone from kind of being an exciting tight end, you know, up-and-coming fantasy tight end from his days in uh, San Diego and now with the Chargers in L.A., but um, to, to where he's kind of boring value. Uh, definitely going to be a big red zone target for Mac Jones. And I would assume that he's going to, you know, sort of retain that role and uh, become a safety blanket for him this year with a lot of flux at the offensive coordinator position there for the Patriots, since they don't really have one. Sam, not to put you on the spot, but is there any usage trends that stood out from the preseason to you that make you lean a player that you maybe wouldn't have flexed or started as a wide receiver three beforehand, any notable usage trends? That's a good question. You are you are putting me on the spot a little bit here. I mean, I think it's more so some of the negative stuff that's taking guys out of consideration for week one. It's the the Garrett Wilson, the Traylon Burks, so a lot of the rookie wide receivers who aren't getting as much pop as we would expect as well, and sort of boosting some of the. I guess, ancillary parts of that offense. So boosting Elijah Moore uh, with the Jets, boosting uh, Robert Woods with, or, or Austin Hooper with the the Titans as well. Some of the more, I would say, established veterans who I think on a season-long basis, people are might generally be fading. But to start the season, they're going to have a role and are going to get, as a lot of people would say, projectable volume. So targeting those sorts of players as... Sneaky starts, I think, are 
is a good way to go while you're waiting to figure out more about some of these unknown entities on teams. What about? I actually, I actually have a couple, a couple more, and I, I, I it was un, unfair to Sam because while he was talking, I was looking at my rankings and came up with some names. But uh, Christian Kirk uh, playing a ton with this, obviously with uh, 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 Trevor Lawrence and the starters. He's got a good slot matchup against. Uh, I'm not sure who exactly gets against, but I know this, they're tough in the slot. The, the Commanders got to get used to saying the Commanders. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, if he's able to play, he's coming off of a, an injury, but uh, going to play a lot in the slot for the Bills. Um, and the other uh, guy who jumped out way down is Nico Collins. Uh, from a usage standpoint, should be the number two receiver there with Houston. And they're going to, you know, we don't really expect a lot out of the Houston offense, but they're going to have a lot of second halves where they have to throw the ball a lot because they're going to be behind. And I certainly expect that against the Colts this week. I will allow you to continue on because I know you also have some sneaky sits you would like to get to for week one. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this Jets, I mean, I, in general right now, I would think of Michael Carter as a sneaky start, but I think it's almost like a sneaky sit because uh, Michael Carter and Brees Hall, due to the matchup against the Ravens, they're just always really good against the the rush. And that's part of the reason why their passing numbers tend to be bad is that nobody can run on them. Uh, so they just they just abandon the run and have to throw the ball a lot. And last year they struggled. They had some injuries in the secondary and really got bad in, uh, against the pass. But um, I'm not expecting much out of this Jets uh, rushing game this week. I certainly wouldn't want to start Carter or, or Hall unless I absolutely had to. How are you viewing the Jets' backfield long term, Sam? I I've been fading Brees Hall all off season. I don't think that coaching staff. You know, they, they spent a fourth-round pick on Michael Carter last year, and he got a decent amount of run towards the end of the year. Then they go ahead and draft Brees Hall. I don't think they just throw away Michael Carter that quickly after one season in which he he dealt with a couple of injuries. So if, if it is a situation where Brees Hall actually is getting, you know, 60-plus, 70-plus percent of the carries and snaps – then he's someone that I think could have some value throughout the rest of the season. But as long as it there is a split between the two, I'm probably staying away from both. I mean, I think if Mike White would have been the starter here, I think one or both of the Jets running backs could have been viable because he targeted the running backs a ton in the games that he played. But don't think Joe Flacco is going to have that same type of usage as well. So it's certainly a, a situation I think to be paying attention to sort of in the ancillary because it sounds like those two are the only two guys right now in the Jets. And so if one is getting the majority of the the opportunities, then could have some long-term viability. Moving on to the final segment of the week. A quick rapid-fire Q&A answering some big picture questions that I think can help everyone out, whether they're listening to this pod live or later in the week. And Paulson, I want to start with Isaiah McKenzie, who is your wide receiver 44, and basically went two rounds too late in every single home league because people were still confused about the slot situation in Buffalo, even though it was clear for two, three months 
since OTAs that Isaiah McKenzie was the starting slot receiver. Uh, also, in the team's second preseason game, was Stephon Diggs went off the field for a couple snaps for a breather. Isaiah McKenzie stayed on in two wide sets. So he has not only standalone values he showed with 10.5 targets per game in place of Cole Beasley last year, but also he has contingency value to be Buffalo's new number two receiver, similar to Tyler Boyd's role in Cincinnati. You right now, as I mentioned, wide receiver 44 Isaiah McKenzie for week one. Does this change if Isaiah McKenzie practices again in full on Wednesday and is officially good to go on Thursday? And if not, are you still comfortable starting Isaiah McKenzie, knowing we have a full slate of games ahead and you'd have to start him on Thursday? Uh, if he's questionable, we know on Thursday whether or not he's going to be active. It kind of takes the guesswork out of it. And then in that case, I'm pretty comfortable starting him, even if he's questionable with a, with an injury. But um you know, anytime he started or plays starter snaps, and we don't have a big sample. He's just absolutely crushed it. Uh, and that that was with Stefan Diggs in the lineup. They also, the other thing that people don't mention with McKenzie is that they do hand him the ball sometimes too. So that even raises his floor because he might get one or two carries, uh, maybe a jet sweep around the goal line and, you know, might get a touchdown that way. So I'm just a big fan. Uh, and I know it's been kind of a weird off season for him. And, you know, the, the Sharps kind of got off him a little bit because he had an injury. Uh, last couple of weeks, uh, maybe the high high stakes leagues kind of let him start to fall. He was really trending up and then kind of trended back down a little bit. I know in home leagues, he just he's probably still on the waiver wire in a lot of them. Uh, but I definitely think you know you want a piece of that offense, and he's the definitely the cheapest available. And he might catch more passes than Gabriel Davis. Uh, Gabriel Davis should be more product- productive on a fantasy points per game standpoint due to his touchdown upside and yardage upside. Uh, but you know. Jam- uh, Cole Beasley caught 82 passes back-to-back in this role. Uh, I think McKenzie's certainly capable of that. I would also stash Isaiah McKenzie over Josh Palmer, for example, universally in every format. And that's valid since both are available in 60% of Yahoo leagues right now when both essentially shouldn't be. Uh, McKenzie, though, standalone value, as we mentioned, plus contingency value, whereas Palmer, I still question if his standalone value matches McKenzie's week to week. I want to go to you for Dave Eric's question, Sam, who is thankful for all of us, a 10-year follower. So thank you, Dave, for following along. And he asked about Rashad Bateman, who is Paulson's wide receiver 23 in the rankings for PPR leagues. How do you view this Ravens offense, and in particular Bateman for week one? I do trust Bateman for week one as a flex option. I think the hype of Isaiah likely is a little bit overdone at this point as far as the involvement he might have in the passing game. And there is a situation, you know, we were talking about the Ravens running backs earlier in the show where the answer is not Mike Davis or Kenny and Drake. It's just Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson rushing the ball, Lamar Jackson passing the ball. And Bateman clearly seems like the number two guy. I think the fact that there hasn't been a ton of press isn't, it's not great, but it's not bad either. And so it's just sort of status quo in Baltimore. And there's an, there are outcomes where, again, even if they don't pass the ball a ton in week one, the Jets defense is bad enough that he gets there with, you know, six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. Paulson, finally, sit between the hellscape of the Chargers' backup running backs and Isaiah Spiller, who's injured for week one, 
Josh Kelly, who was the number two, but is basically the younger version of Mike Davis since he entered the league, and Sonny Michelle, who was only signed off waivers, maybe because they weren't happy with Josh Kelly. If you can only stash one, there are a lot of people asking this question in leagues. Which one do you lean? I personally am still Spiller because I expect him, even in being reportedly behind Kelly, to eventually beat out Kelly. But Michelle obviously throws a wrench into that late, and so I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Uh, if I'm just stashing, uh, I think I would I would go with Michelle. He, I mean, he had a, quite you know I think it was almost a thousand total yards last year. Has a goal line role potentially with Eckler being kind of a smaller running back, and maybe they want to take some of the load off of him. Uh, the Spiller thing, the fact that he couldn't clearly beat out Josh Kelly, who didn't look very good last year, it might be better this year, but they weren't able to separate from each other kind of worries me a little bit with Spiller. I know he was a very popular uh, rookie running back pick, um, but I'm a little bit worried now, especially since they went out and signed Michelle. It just seems like they're just not satisfied with what's going on behind Austin Eckler. So I think the guy that they brought in uh, is probably the best bet. However, he just got cut by the Dolphins. Um, and that doesn't that's not super encouraging either. It does seem like, though, that they were trying to address a need behind Eckler, and that's how they're going to do it with Michelle. He does have some touchdown upside, I think, in that offense. One more for both of you, actually, Sam, and I'll kick it to you first. It is Wednesday. Lots of moving pieces, which is why start sits, head to the 444 Discord. We are doing AMAs essentially every night. That's where we can answer your start sits uh, better with more information Thursday morning in particular. But let's pretend Alan Lazard, who had his foot stepped on a practice, sat out practice Wednesday, we don't know if he's dealing with an ankle sprain. It would obviously be very worrisome if it's a high ankle sprain, but he's looking more towards the doubtful side of week one. Again, it's only Wednesday, than the questionable side. So let's pretend, since it is Wednesday, he's out. How do we then rank Randall Cobb, Romeo Dobbs, Sammy Watkins, and Christian Watson? That's a tough – and the, the Packers receiver room is, is certainly one – that I'll be very paying very close attention, not only because I'm a Packers fan, be, but because of the implications it has with fantasy. Because if, if Lazard doesn't play, I, I don't want to say we can't trust anything from this game, but it's it's difficult to because he has been pegged as the wide receiver one all offseason. But if I were to rank those four, I'd probably go Cobb. Ooh, this is tough. Cobb, Watkins, Dobbs. Watson and it, it's I I wouldn't trust starting any of them though right now I'd still be I'd still be fine starting Rodgers because I think he can get there with those weapons but there's a chance where all of them catch four balls and are just not doing anything else with it, it it's that's one of the messier situations in fantasy football right now we obviously won't in the show, Paul said, without you getting a chance to comment on it. So go ahead. How do you rank those four, assuming Lazard is out? Well, I would agree with Sam that Watson is in fourth place right now just because he got so far behind with that injury, and it just doesn't seem like he has any rapport with Rodgers that we know of. Um, Dobbs, on the other hand, I think I would bump him up. And the other, th the other thing here that's really interesting is this trend for Sammy Watkins to just blow up in week one and then disappear for the rest of the season. Uh, or most of the season. So I could easily see Watkins with a huge game. I know Rodgers likes him and they've, you know, they've, 
the way that they wanted to go into the season was Lazard, Watkins, and Cobb with Dobbs rotating in and starting to earn his way onto the field. But if if Lazard were to be out, I think he I think Dobbs would have a pretty good week one as well. And I could see Cobb having a good week one. He's just not as dangerous as he used to be. Um, but he still is is a threat for two touchdowns if Rodgers just, you know, deems it so. Any of these guys could go off if Rodgers decides I'm going to pepper this guy with 10 targets and make it happen. Um, but really to answer your question, the way I would rank them in terms of who I would have highest, I think I would have Dobbs and Watkins maybe in the 40s, 50s, and then Cobb there like 50s, 60s, just because I don't think Cobb's upside is the same as Dobbs and, and Watkins now that we know that you know week one Sammy Watkins might happen again. Sam, what else does everyone have to look forward to from you on the site. So in the coming weeks, nothing, no, no articles this week, but we'll have my aptly named hop into conclusions posted every Wednesday as a supplement to this show. We'll also be doing a positional breakout model that looks specifically at some buy lows and sell highs from a fantasy usage usage perspective and then just a ton of charts every single day throughout the season uh trying to give you all the information in some digestible and easy to understand ways paulson what else from you on the site this week for everyone ahead of week one well i'll I'll be publishing my sneaky starts uh probably later today Uh, i'm doing a discord chat uh every thursday uh in the afternoon so i'm not exactly sure what time i think it's 1 p.m pacific uh so stay tuned for that and then we'll be doing a a podcast every friday with anthony stalter our usual uh podcast and i'm just obviously keeping the um keeping the rankings updated as we get through all these injuries and get into week one it's time boys paulson will be back as he mentioned on friday for his favorite start sits of week one i'll be back sunday night monday morning with a weekly recap show on this very feed with underdogs Josh Norris and Hayden Winks that will catch you up if you happen to miss the games from a fantasy usage perspective every Monday morning during your commute. And the regular season now is here. So until next time, remember, be a little bit kinder than once or twice. We'll see you then.